All right, so today our theme is joy. I already told you it's one of my favorite sermons. I've already tried to tell a couple of jokes. It didn't go that great either. So um, now my, my natural um, spiritual motivational gift is exhorting. So I love to exhort the body of Christ, like to encourage us so we can just like leave here and let's go get it for God. Come on, let's do it, people. That's kind of the vibe uh, that God's created me to do. Lately, I've been really serious, you know? really serious, like, you're like, repent people and get right with God and that kind of thing. And as I'm preaching sometimes like that, I'm like, oh, I don't even like this myself, but the Holy Spirit's speaking this stuff through me. How many know that, that we have to obey the Spirit, right? We can't just do what we want to do. In fact, the Bible warns us, don't tickle people's ears. Don't just tell people what they want to hear. Preach the word. So I self-announced at a 9 a.m. sermon, 9 a.m. service. I'm like, okay, I'm going to give a joyful sermon today. I didn't quite get there. It got real serious. So I guess that's good news because we can say the Lord is at work, right? The Lord is at work communicating his heart to the people. Hopefully he's using me as a vessel for that. So here we go. So I wanted to tell a story about joy. And none of you guys want to hear any stories about high school football, right? I mean, high school Harry, we got to retire that guy. I've got to stop the sports stories. And I've already ran, you know, ran through a lot of the stories about dating my wife, Beth, and all the stuff we went through, and those stories are getting old, too. So I needed a good, joyful story. So I, I thought about this. I talked to my, my family. I talked to my wife. I talked to, to Beth. I texted my sister to see if I'd told the story before. And no one can remember if I told the story before, so here we go. If I did, forgive me. I've been here 10 years now. We used to have Wednesday night services where I used to tell, tell a lot of stories at that time also. So th- there's a lot of stories. But this was a time when uh, I received a joyful experience because it didn't start out that great. I had a relative that used to work for an airline. And in those days, the particular airline he worked for, uh, they let family fly non-revenue, non-rev flights. And so it was that if you were a D1, that was guaranteed space. That was like having a ticket yourself. If you were a D2, that meant that you were either the employee or the spouse of an employee. And so you were second in line to get any empty space on the plane. Then there was D3. D3 were like brothers and second cousins and the most extended family possible. And so you only, if you were a D3, you only got on the plane if all the D1s got the extra space, all the D2s got the extra space, and then D3, we were left as the third option. I never did figure out what the letter D stood for, but in my case, it stood for dummy. Because I chose to fly D3, non-revenue, trying to catch a plane from Germany to Dallas that only left the country one time a week. So in all my wisdom, I showed up two hours early, thinking that because I was God's favorite, I would get on the plane. But I didn't make the plane. I found myself stuck in Germany for another week. Now, if you're rich, that's not a bad thing. But if, when you're in college and you're poor, that's not a good thing at all. So I figured out a way to get to London. So I flew to London. I got there to London and Lots of people were trying to fly non-rev. So flight after flight after flight after flight after flight, I couldn't get from London to Dallas directly. So I figured, let's just 
try to get to the United States of America. So I got a flight from London to New York City. At least I'm in my own country. I get to JFK Airport, and there were no flights available to get back to Dallas. So I got on a bus, and I took a bus from JFK Airport to LaGuardia Airport. Got to LaGuardia and thought there'd be flights from New York to Dallas. There were no flights from New York to Dallas there. So I tried to find the best route, and so I went from New York to Chicago. And got to Chicago. Got to Chicago, and there were no non-rev flights there either. And so here it was. I'd been wearing the same clothes for 48 hours. Uh, I didn't have this access to money. I was tired. I was frustrated. I'm there in Chicago, and I investigate how to get home, and there are no flights from Chicago to Dallas. Now, I'm not old enough to rent a car. Even if I could, I didn't have access to money to rent a car. I was stuck. And so I was trying to figure out what to do pre-cell phones. I was calling my parents on the pay phone, trying to figure out what to do. They were helping me out and so forth. But um, finally, I hear my name called. I hear my name called, and a ticket agent hands me a passport with my name on it. Excuse me, uh, not a passport, but a boarding pass. A boarding pass with my name on it and a a signed seat. Guys, I'm going to tell you, that was joy in that moment. It had been over 48 hours of hopping from airport to airport. And now I had guaranteed space on a flight. All of a sudden, the furniture in the terminal was so much more comfortable. The junk food tasted better because I had that boarding pass. I I, I was guaranteed space. And even though I wasn't home yet, I felt like I was home because I had guaranteed space on that coming flight. Well, I was thinking about this, using it as a metaphor for the joy that we have. You know, life's not perfect. I liked what Beth said earlier. She said, boy, you have the Sunday where the theme is joy, and there's all this pressure to have joy. Like, you should have joy because you're the most blessed people there are. You better have joy. And that's not very joyful to have that pressure on us, is it? So we, 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 we are in difficult circumstances, and to extend the metaphor, I actually had some positive experience, experiences hopping from airport to airport. But there was an overriding sense of foreboding, of this sense of uh, anxiety. I didn't know how I was going to get there. And then when I got that boarding pass, man, what joy there was. I wasn't home yet, but I was guaranteed to be home. That's the place that we're at because of the salvation we found through Christ. We're not home yet. We're not completely where we're supposed to be, but we're guaranteed to get there. And that's one of the beauty as we talk about joy. The first category of joy I want to mention to you is the joy of personal salvation. Write that down, the joy of personal salvation. So am I in a shadow over here? Because I walk over here and I feel like I go in the dark. Am I in the dark? Okay, good. I'll stay away from there. We can put, like, warning tape right here. Don't pass. Don't pass. I won't pass to you, Kelly, okay? All right, you're, you're my warning tape now. The joy of personal salvation. Jesus quoted our text today in Mark chapter 4. Excuse me, Luke chapter 4. The text is Isaiah 61. Jesus quoted this very text. Here's the text that Kyle read for us earlier. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim proclaim liberty to the captives and 
the opening of the prison to those who are bound. Verse 2, in the beginning of it. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Now write down Luke chapter 4, verse 18 and 19. You can go look at that later. Luke chapter 4, Jesus was in a synagogue and he opened the scrolls and he read Isaiah 61. And when he got to the part where it said the year of the Lord's favor, he sat down to say, I now am, I am the favor of God. I am the Messiah. I am here. This was his first advent. So we know this is that though God had this custom where he would bring about years of jubilee every 50 years. Now every year is a year of jubilee. Every day is a day of jubilee because when you've got Jesus, you have the presence of God. You have the favor of God. Jesus said, my favor is here. And this is, this is what personal salvation is. It's when you find your relationship with God. There's great value in this. Not because you're a Baptist, not because you're Assembly of God, not because you're American, not because you're a Tennessean, but because you and Jesus, something, you found something with him. This idea of personal salvation. Jesus, Jesus said this, I'm anointed because I'm going to the poor. I'm going to those in prison. I'm going to the captives and I'm bringing my personal salvation. I'm bringing my year of favor. That's his first advent. Now we see in verse 2, we, we see him transition to the second advent that is to come. To proclaim the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God. This is the day that's coming where God judges the world. And that's a good thing. When Jesus comes and judges the world, he judges the systems. He judges the evil that pervades. He judges what occurs when he's not in charge. The judgment of Jesus is a great thing for the world because the judgment of Jesus makes all things right. To comfort all who mourn. To grant to those who mourn in Zion. By the way, that means people who are mourning in the church are in the place of idealism. And I want you to know that just because you're active in church and you're having a personal relationship with God does not mean that there's things you are not mourning. There's things that you're mourning is what I'm trying to say. Christians mourn. Christians mourn. Christians are sad about circumstances in their life, broken relationships. Christians are sad about the state of a world that's not submitted to Christ. So comfort those who mourn in Zion to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes. In the context, we know this, that the people who read or heard this prophecy from Isaiah read this prophecy right away. They would often put ashes on them when they were in times of mourning. But especially for the females, they would wear tiaras, headdresses that signified, signified celebration. Jesus said, I'm going to come and I'm going to come to those who are mourning and I'm going to give them a reason to celebrate the oil of gladness instead of mourning. The garment of praise instead of a faint spirit. This is what happens when the Lord works. And then I love the verse 3. It says that they may be called oaks of righteousness. The planting of the Lord that he may be glorified. In Isaiah chapter 1 verse 29. Write that down. It's not in the screen. In Isaiah chapter 1 verse 29. The prophet calls out people who, who idolize and worship trees. And he says this now. Now he says here in chapter 61, verse 3, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. God's going to plant oaks of righteousness that are, that are 
you and I, places of stability, places of beauty, places of strength. That's what we're called to be. And so it is when we begin to connect with Jesus and we connect to his heart. Jesus is bringing good news to the poor. Jesus is binding up the brokenhearted. Jesus is bringing liberty to the captives. Jesus is opening doors for the bound. And Jesus is comforting those who mourn. And that's why we need him so much. That's why 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, starting with verse 16, says, Rejoice always. Uh Uh-oh. I didn't say rejoice circumstantially. Rejoice always. I, I had lunch in this, this very calendar year with, with a friend of mine who's older than me who has gone through some very, very difficult things. If I gave you a list, you would agree. And I asked him, I said, how's it that you're still with the Lord? How's it, how's it that, that you're functioning? How's it that you're smiling today? And he said, well, the Bible said rejoice always. I got my sermon that day. I'm not quite that mature yet because I rejoice when stuff's going my way. I kind of got this agreement with God. God, you take care of me and make me happy and then I'll rejoice in you. The scripture says rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Now, here's an interesting list of things. Don't quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies. Test everything. Hold fast to what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. It's easier to rejoice in the Lord when we're doing these other things also. When we're open to the moving of the Holy Spirit. When we're testing the moving of the Spirit through the Word. Where we're holding fast to what's good when we're abstaining from evil. Verse 23. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who called you is faithful. He will surely do it. If you agree with God's word, would you say amen? amen? That's a good scripture, isn't it? And I pray that as I teach you on Sundays, th- this, is what, this is what happens. So we're, the, the, sermon, the, the scriptures I'm preaching from right now are from the lectionary, which is a list of scriptures out of three years. And I'm, I'm adding commentary and life and this and organizing them with the three points. But the spirit is speaking through his word. And, and look what could have just happened. Like, Somewhere over here, someone kind of daydreamed, because that's what we usually do in a 30-minute sermon, right? I mean, we just do. And they kind of were enjoying the story about the airplane, but kind of zoomed out during 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. But over here, someone needed to hear 1 Thessalonians 5, and your life has changed forever. That's what the Holy Spirit does, right? All right? That's what the Scripture does. There's life in that. So that takes away a little pressure when I see some sleepy people in here. I understand human dynamics, anyway. Well, we're back to the airplane story. That way now you can tune back in, all right? So let's bring, we're going to bring everyone back in. Bring, come on back home, people. Come back home. All right, the airplane story. So I have this boarding pass. I told you that the junk food tastes better. Everything was more comfortable. I'm sitting at the gate, and I noticed that everyone's just kind of happy and jovial, if you travel in airports, that's typically not the place. Most of the time, everyone is like focused. Business people, they're focused. They're not wanting to chit-chat. There's not a whole lot of talking back and forth. The only time you see a group of happy people are church mission trip people. And you know it's church mission trip people because they're wearing matching shirts. 
And I want to tell you that nothing has hurt the kingdom of God more than matching shirts at the airport. I just believe that with all my heart. If I was God, I would write the Ten Commandments and I would add an 11th commandment. It would be, don't wear matching t-shirts in the airport. It hurts the kingdom of God. That's my opinion on it. And so I broke that trend. I went to Costa Rica for the first time last year and I said, I will go. I'm not wearing the t-shirt. I'm going to be unsubmissive, disobedient, rebellious. I'm going to just let you know right now, I'm not wearing the matching t-shirt. So that kind of stuff make me sound mean? Does that make, yeah, okay. My wife says so, my son says so, my sister, my nephews, okay, oh well. Just keeping it real, right? So we're at the airport gate, everyone's happy, everyone's jovial. I'm like, this is unusual, this is different. I discovered later that that particular airline had messed up all the non-revs so much that all of these people had landed together in Chicago and they literally created a unique flight just to get the D3s back to Dallas. So here we were, all of these people who had been hopping around the nation, some of us the world, all converged here in Chicago. We all get on the same plane. We're all non-rev. And then this is what happened. When the plane took off, usually when the plane lands, occasionally when there's bad turbulence, everyone will clap. When the plane took off, the whole plane erupted in applause. There was like this great rapport we all had because we all were headed home and we all finally got on the plane. You know, I I talked to you about personal salvation, but salvation is not just for individuals. Salvation is for the entire community. I believe that. Here's my second point, my second category of joy, joy of community favor. Now, I say this is because we have crafted salvation in the desire to get decisions and so forth as only individual And you heard my preaching earlier. There is a component of that. Like, you've got to make a decision. It's not what grandma did. It's not what grandpa did. It's not what the youth group did. It's it's you and Jesus, and I'm with you on that. But once you're saved, if it was only about eternity, if it was only about the afterlife, God would zap you to heaven immediately. Between the time you discover the salvation Jesus purchased for you until the time that he returns, when our earthly life expires, Eternity starts then. According to John chapter 17, verse 3, eternal life starts now. That means salvation's not just about us. Salvation is about the community we live in. God's wanting to bring a taste of heaven, a taste of his kingdom to earth, and he wants to do it through us. And so it is. It's okay that I was headed home. But it was even more fulfilling that I was on a plane where everyone was heading home. And I love the thought that we have this message that Jesus has declared his gospel because he desires that every man come to know the Lord. He desires for every knee to bow. He desires for every tongue to confess that God is so compassionate and gracious and kind and he's delaying his second advent because he wants more people to discover his glory in this life and in this world. And so it is in verse 4, after all of these people received all of this good stuff from the Lord, says they, these are the people who received in verse 4 of Isaiah 61, they shall build up the ancient ruins. They shall raise up the former devastations. They shall repair the ruined cities, the devastations of many generations. 
Jesus people are active people. Jesus people are involved people. And Jesus people are making the world they live in a better place. We are people who are rebuilding cities. There is a cultural phenomenon, or not really, it's happening all over the world in every culture, is that more and more people are moving to cities. We're, we're becoming more and more connected physically. And I believe God has a plan in this, and part of his plan to redeem the world, that with more proximity, yeah, there's more crime, and there's more challenges, and there's more road to build, and all those type of things that happen, but there's also more opportunity for the gospel to be proclaimed, because people are nearer, people are closer, and something is happening right now. You know that churches in the cities, this is happening here in the southeast and in Texas quite a bit, Churches that were in the cities that at one time had hundreds of people in the 60s, 70s, 1980s, they dwindled down to dozens of people. And now they are handing church buildings over to young congregations who are meeting in schools, who have been meeting in community centers, who have been meeting in, in uh, clubhouses. And they're saying, listen, we used to have a great church, but now we're aging out. The church is diminishing. The church isn't growing. You take our building. You take our sanctuary. You take our property. You do something great. Rebuild what used to be a great church. Rebuild where there used to be glory. Rebuild where there used to be an anointing. Rebuild where there used to be something that's happening. This is a trend. I remember as a Child, nobody wanted to go to downtown. Everybody's trying to get into the suburbs. Everyone's trying to get out into the suburbs. Now we've seen since the year 2000 uh, a renewal of, of, of urban activity. And there's so much energy and there's so much activity and property values are up and new cultural phenomena are existing. More concert venues, more restaurants. Uh, there, every, every neighborhood has a name now, right? Every neighborhood is named something trendy and cool. This is not just uh, about personal preferences. As kingdom people, we see that God is rebuilding the cities. He's rebuilding them culturally so he can rebuild them spiritually. And he's positioning you and I in very unique times. The cities are not just meant for our entertainment. They're not just adult playgrounds. The cities are meant for us to do kingdom work. And so whatever you do, whatever your business is, whatever your state of life is, if you're retired, if you're a homemaker, if you're a business person, God has called you to rebuild the city that you've lived in. It used to be that we would think that the only way to follow the call of God is to get a paycheck from a church. Well, in the future, there's going to be less paychecks from the church anyway. I just believe that God is now giving more and more of his ministry to his people. And so it is now that if you're growing up today, you don't have to surrender to the full-time ministry and surrender your dreams or your preferences or your hopes because we need God to use people as teachers as businessmen, as businesswomen, as artists, as musicians, as entrepreneurs, as creators. God is using people and he's, he's calling you to take your unique talents and your abilities and not wait for someday when a church can pay you, but to build your city right now. We're not about just building churches, we're about rebuilding cities. Rebuilding systems. And there's brokenness all around us. There's schools that are broken. There's parts of town that are broken. There's buildings that used to have glory that don't have glory anymore. And God's saying, come on, take your abilities and take your creativity and take your insight and take your business uh, acumen and take the, all the gifts that you have and rebuild the cities for the glory of God. Your salvation is not just about you. It's about the, com the community you live in.
And everything you do touches somebody. Every conversation you have, every text you send, every interaction adds value to people. It either takes from them or it adds to them. And so all for the glory of God, we are to be people who repair the ruined cities. We're so supposed to bring the rule of God back as the word of God is lifted up. We begin to see God begin to rebuild broken places. Underneath the rubble, there's still a good foundation. If you, if you take away all, you can see the devastation on the surface. You can see that there's great potential right there. Jerusalem and the cities of Judah had long lay in ruin. But when the anointing came, when Jesus came, when Jesus, the rebuilder of people came, he said they're going to rebuild. They're going to rebuild the ancient ruins and God is going to help them do so. Write down Psalm 126. It's one of my favorite Psalms. And I won't give you all the reasons why, but there's been, there's been two to three moments in my life where Psalm 126, I've identified emotionally with it. That's what I want you to read it later. It talks about when God did the most unlikely thing. He brought back the exiles from Babylon and he brought them back to the holy city of Jerusalem. And it says, when the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream. Then our mouth was filled with laughter. Our tongues with shout of joy. And they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. There are coming some moments in your life where you're going to step into some situations where it's going to be like a dream because God's going to do something better than you imagine. Now, some of you are like, well, what could that be? Let me start imagining things. I said it's better than you imagine. The thing that you can't even dream, or maybe it is a thing you dream. I love Psalm 126. We were like people who were in a dream. And our mouths were filled with laughter. Have you ever been in a situation where you're just like, I can't believe it. I can't believe this is happening. I can't believe God did this. That's a God thing. That can be a God thing in your life. And he's going to fill your mouth with laughter. And here's what's going to happen. People around you are going to say, this is what God has done. I don't know about you, but I want to be part of something so great that I don't get the credit and, and other people don't get the credit, but God gets the credit. Because we say that God has done what only he can do. That's the type of joy that comes when the gospel is resident in our lives. And, and it makes us look forward to, to things unknown and things we haven't seen before. You know, after my crazy travel story from Germany to London to New York to New York again to Chicago to Dallas, I could have said, I'm done traveling. That's it. That was a terrible experience. I'm never going to take the risk. I'm just going to stay at home. But really, since that time, I've traveled more and more and more. And now my family, we've traveled quite a bit together. And and now my kids are interested in that. Abby wants to study abroad as she gets into college. Lincoln, he has dreams of traveling he's told me about. Luke, I'm not really sure if he wants to travel or not because he doesn't talk to me about those things. But he is my third child, so I won't leave him out. But I'm sure. I know he has dreams too, and they involve football stadiums and games to go visit. So travel is somewhat of a legacy in our family now. A secondary legacy, obviously, not a primary legacy, but it's, it's something that my kids are interested in because me and my wife do a lot. And so this is part of what happens is our activities, our activities today set the trend for the next generation. Here's my third organizational point for joy. Joy of a God-glorifying legacy. A God-glorifying legacy now, when I talk about that, I'm not talking about just adopted children or biological children because that's too small. I'm talking about, I'm talking about uh, children in the spirit. Sometimes we have spiritual sons and daughters that may even be older than us. 
And I've, I've seen that happen in my life both ways, that I've had people older than me that I've led, and I've had people who are younger than me who are leading me today. We're spiritual sons and daughters, and so this doesn't have to be, I'm not talking about this perfect nuclear family because those are so rare today. Uh, the, the, the idea is this, is that every single one of us, whether we're single or married, uh, whatever, we're tired, whether we're uh, high school students, God's calling us to have spiritual influences and to make a difference in the next generation of faith. So I want to ask you this question. The people who are involved in your life, what will their descendants be like 200 years from now? What type of people will we be 200 years from now? Guys, this is a relevant question because the year 1817 wasn't that long ago. And the choices we make today as individuals and as a people affect the next generation. If we turn our way, if we turn our, our hearts and our habits away from spiritual things and from weekly worship and from being people of devotion, it will affect the next generation. So we live righteously, not for ourselves, but for the next day and for the next generation. Diedrich Bonhoeffer said, a righteous man lives for the next generation. I make choices today not just for my preference because I know that my choice affects my community and the way I live my life connects the people I'm connected to. That's why Isaiah 61, verse 8 and 11 says this. For I love, for I the Lord love justice. I hate robbery and wrong. I will faithfully give them their recompense. And I will make an everlasting covenant with them. That word everlasting is pretty powerful, guys. Not a conditional covenant. It's an everlasting covenant. God, you're part of the everlasting covenant. You're part of God's faithful people. You're, God, you're part of the Abraham covenant. And you are, you are under an everlasting covenant. This is what the Lord says. Their offspring shall be known among the nations and their descendants in the midst of the peoples. All who see them shall acknowledge them that they are an offspring the Lord has blessed. This is talking about a multi-generational blessing when God's people stay submitted to him and God's people make him the priority of their life. There is joy when we see the next generation touched and blessed by what we do. I want us to stand together. Mary, Mary, when she found out that she was giving birth to Jesus, said amazing thing, starting with verse 46. And Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior verse 47 48 for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant going on to the next slide for behold from now on all generations will call me blessed here's one of my favorite scriptures in the Bible verse 49 for he who is mighty has done great things for me and holy is his name and his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. Let's pray together. Let's pray together. Our time together is short, so the Holy Spirit's going to move very strongly in a short amount of time right now. I want you to open your heart to the Holy Spirit right now. Come on, open your heart to the Holy Spirit. You've heard the scripture declared to you. You heard this, this scripture declared to you today. Father, we need your joy. We need your joy. The Lord wants to remind you that joy is not sentiment. Sentiment is a very powerful, it's a powerful emotion, and God uses sentimental feelings. God uses story. God uses memory. But the Lord says that's not joy. The Lord wants to remind you that's not joy. So if, if your story is hurtful, 
if your memories are painful, if your memories are good, and because those memories are good, it brings you pain in the week to come. The Lord says that's not joy. Joy is not sentimentality. Joy is, is centering. Joy is centering on Him. So the Lord says you need strength for the week ahead. You need strength for potential conversations. You need, you need strength for arrangements that you're not sure of. You need strength because you don't like the week of Christmas. Some of you don't like the week of Christmas. Thank you for being in church today. Thank you for being in church today because you're not, you're, you're just, you're going to fight for the next seven days. But the Lord says, I'm going to give you strength. I'm going to give you strength. I'm going to give you strength because joy, joy, joy is your strength. Lord, we receive that right now. Now let's just receive from the Lord right now. Guys, you heard a sermon. You heard the scripture. You've had experience. But Lord, the, the Lord, there, there's a presence of the Holy Spirit. Those of you who have been touched by the Holy Spirit, come on. Join me in prayer right now. Join me. Let's just invite the Holy Spirit in here. Holy Spirit, come, Holy Spirit. Come and touch us, Holy Spirit. Come and touch us, oh Holy Spirit. Give us the strength we need. Give us the strength we need if we, when we need to keep our mouth shut. Give us the strength we need when we need to confront an issue with love. Holy Spirit, give us the strength we need to invite your presence in our time. Lord, and, and the Lord wants to remind us of this today, that in his presence is fullness of joy, right? In his presence is fullness of joy. You may be a disciplined person, and maybe you're having, you've had a disciplined devotional life in 2017, but you've not invited God's presence into your devotional life. I know that's strange to even say that, but the Lord's wanting to deal with this right now. I mean, you've been really disciplined, like, like you're checking off the boxes. You're going through the one-year Bible, but you have hardened your heart to the presence of the Lord. The, the presence of the Lord, there's fullness of joy. And the Lord is asking if he can come into your devotional life. Isn't that strange that I'm saying that right now? It's strange, but some of us, we, we have, it's like a, it's, it, it's like a um, act of man. Our devotions have become like a religious ritual, much like the Pharisees that like, like on the outside, we, we are fooling ourselves on the outside, but the presence of God has no entryway into our life. The reason you don't have strength is because there's no presence and the presence of the Lord gives you joy. The joy of the Lord is your strength. And so we receive that, Lord. Lord, we ask that you receive that. We're going to just spend a couple of minutes again. I know our time is long, but I want to open up the Lord's table. And to your left, there's a chance for you to take communion back to your seat or to pray with someone to your right. Also, also in the back here in the middle, uh, pastors, we're going to be serving by intention if you want to receive uh, the Lord's communion that way. If you're a Christian, you don't want to take communion, that's okay, you don't have to do that. But Beth's just going to kind of play some music over us, and we're going to invite you just to seek the Lord for just a couple of minutes choose to use the table. The table's available. If you want to pray with someone you love, that's okay too. And then I'll come and give our dismissal as we allow God's word to continue to just wash over us and his presence to wash over us. Let's go to the Lord now.